From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Scarred for Life and Happy New Year question mark <laughs> this is the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids and um, i'm terry and i am <laughs> <I'm> mary beth 
And this episode is a little bit different. What are, what are we doing this episode, Mary Beth? So this episode, instead of interviewing a guest, we are going over our best of 2022 list. Not just our top 10 movies, but our festival favorites, favorite episodes of ours from this year, favorite discoveries, overall thoughts on the year, and then also giving kind of some honorable mentions to movies that didn't make the cut, but we still think deserve a shout out. So basically, this is our big end of the year recap episode. Hell yeah! Yeah! Uh, uh, I'm not I ready. Spent, wait, I'm not ready. I spent two hours working on this. Um, <laughs> spent a I'm lot fine. of time. Um, trying to figure out things, remembering lots of things that I saw at the beginning of the year, remembering things that were technically 20, like tw- this year releases that I saw in 2021. That, uh-huh. keep, that will continue to fuck me up forever. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like to, so I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like to include festival releases on my best of list. I like to my best no. of list to be like widely available movies, things that people could go that a normal person yeah. could go see. Yeah, I like it to be like more accessible. Like, hey, you don't have to only see it in like a tiny art house theater. Like, it's actually now you can go rent it. Yep. But then I'm like, wait, hold on, that movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a lot. I know there was a lot of good fucking movies this year, and I know we'll talk about kind of the year as a whole later. Yeah. But it made this year made it very hard to make this list, and it's a good thing, but a <laughs> but a challenging thing. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think my my problem with this year and the hard time I had uh, whittling down my list was that there was a lot of really good horror movies, but not a whole lot of, for me at least, really great horror movies. So like mm-hmm. when we get to my list, there's a lot of movies that I would have rated about a fours and not a whole lot of 4.5s or fives on my list. There was just a lot of good quality movies out there. There was just nothing that like, there was a very small amount of things that went like, oh my God, that was like, yes, this is my favorite movie of this year. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I actually had a very similar, that's a good way to put it. Cause I was trying to put my finger on that when I was making my list. Cause there are a lot of movies. I, I like have a hard time rating things, stars and oh, shit. Like same. I never do it on Letterboxd. I like it. I don't know. It just, my brain has a hard time like conceptualizing that for whatever fucking reason. But it's like, I go purely off of how not purely, but like how it made me feel. And there were so many movies mm-hmm. in there that I were like on the same level, but nothing, yeah. not, not as much that like kind of elevated over that, like really impressive, but didn't pack as much of an emotional punch maybe as yes. previous years have. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something I was thinking about this. I was writing something the other day and I was thinking about this, you know, I'm going to save this when we talk about 2022. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. Um, right. So put a pin in that one. We'll I put a pin wanna, in that. I want to hear that. Let's talk about our festival favorites. So, sure. you know, movies that we saw at festivals this year that are either coming out next year or hopefully coming out next or year. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. But things that we were really impressed by that didn't come out this year, but people should have on their radars. Yeah. So. What's, um, what's one of yours? Like, I, I don't really have these in any order, but like... And I'm sure we're going to have some overlap. I have a pretty big list, but yeah, big, too. big strong word. But, um, okay. So I I feel like my number one is the Outwaters. Same. That one is, Shocking is at the top of to my list. No one. Um, I mean, I saw the Outwaters almost a year ago. And I've been so, I mean, like, you know, we've been championing it for a while. It's so exciting to see Robbie get 
so much buzz around this movie and it's finally going to be able uh, out there for everyone to witness. I rewatched it a couple days ago and uh, Christ on the cross. I'm excited for everyone to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's I I think it's going to be one of the big I, I I do think it'll be a little bit divisive in, in terms of uh, oh, yeah. normal audiences. But like for me, the things that it does with with found footage in terms of like going past where a lot of found footage movies end, I think is just, it's really good. And it is fucked up. It startled the shit out of me so many times. Um, it's just, it's really good. And Robbie is a delight. So I, I love, I would love to see it succeed incredibly well. Cause he just is a, a good human being. And it's like, it doesn't have the same kind of, it doesn't have the same commercial appeal as a terrifier too, but the mm-hmm. depravity is on the same level. Mm-hmm. So like it equals out. Look at a little art house fuckery in your life, y'all. It's good for you. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. That one's on mine. Another one that I'm really looking forward for people to see is Swallowed. Me by, too. By our boo, Carter Smith. <gasps> boo! I'm so excited for people to finally see this fucked up, weird, gay movie about worms. And love. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And a and a very incredibly campy uh, performance by Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Jesse himself, Mark Patton. This movie is 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 great. Uh, Cooper uh, Coach, I believe. Couch? Coach is, I believe, how you say his last name. Who is also, you would have seen him in this year's They Slash Them. He is fantastic in this as well. Um, just a, it's, if this is the kind of movie that Carter really wants to make with his, uh, all the dead boys kind of like label. I I'm here for it. Bring it on Carter. Me fucking too. Me fucking transgressive too. queer horror. Yes. And so to kind of round up the trifecta of the three movies, I'm really excited to come out next year for everyone to see um, is Skinamarink. Uh, yeah, that's on mine as well. No one. Skinamarink is out in this January. Well, in January. So this, this is coming out in January. So this is, by the time this episode airs, it'll be about two weeks until it's hitting theaters on the 13th and the 14th. If you're in DC, I'm hosting a screening at Alamo Draft House. So if Hell yeah. you want to come watch this movie on the big screen and then hang out with me and be scared, come see me on Friday, the thir- Friday January 13th at 9.30 at Alamo Draft House. Anyway. Day before my birthday. So, um, yeah, this one's good. This is another one. So, like, this is my trifecta of, like, Mary Beth catnip movies that people are going to either really love or think are art house trash. Mm-hmm. Skin We've talked about it a million times. Podcast. We've talked about the short film. Fucking terrifying liminal space. Nightmarish horror. Viral. Everyone is excited to see it. Very excited to see people's reactions. <laughs> I tried to convince my mom to come to this screening. <laughs> I was like, it's fine. I sent oh her screen. God. I sent her screenshots from it. She's like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> my family's like, "We're so proud of you, but that looks really scary." <laughs> and I was like, "It's the scariest movie I've ever seen." And they were like, "Why would you tell us that?" And I was like, <laughs> and "Then my grandmother goes, there are just some things you can't erase from your mental hard drive.'" And I was like, "Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Mimi." So, uh, what a hip grandma. Anyway. Love that. <laughs> yeah, that, that rounds up my, my like, three really – those are at the very top of my list. I didn't yeah. – these aren't really in any order, but, like, of the ones that I'm really excited for people to see, uh, it, it is these ones. Uh, but, like, continuing on with the 
weird ass movies that like is not going to be for everyone. Uh, one on one that I'm really excited for is that it, for people to see is everyone will burn. Oh my god, yes! Oh my god, I forgot. Oh, how did I forget about that movie? I really liked it. I know. I don't know. Festival. <laughs> Which festival? Uh, I think that was like Fantastic Fest. Was it Fantastic, Fantastic Fest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic I think. Fest. But this one is like a an apocalyptic telenovela, s- small town. Everyone's screwing around with everyone else. Meanwhile, there's a prophecy that is going to bring end of times. And then a strange little girl who in one of the opening shots sets someone aflame. And then it just goes from there and it is over two hours but it is a wild wild ass movie that incorporates a whole different types of genres and is just unlike anything else i've seen this year it's fucking fun it's wild it's a lot of fun it's it is very fun and then i'll just i'll quickly list through mine because i got a lot so i'll just like list yeah. through them really quick um so we're not just sitting here <laughs> but so megalomaniac that i uh, oh, yeah. i saw at a fantasia uh, gory, like, kind of Belgian extremity movie. It, again, another divisive one that people are going to mm-hmm. think is either absolutely fucking repulsive or really fascinating. So, excited for that. Project Wolf Hunting is coming out soon. That's on mine. Um, mm-hmm. So excited for people to experience this Evil Dead, Resident Evil, weird-ass con air on a ship, on a ship movie. Uh, Pieta, which is something I saw at Fantasia. It's a Spanish movie made oh, mm-hmm. that is about a guy whose mom has can who has cancer, and it's like hyper stylized. It's so weird. It's so queer. It's made by this like queer artist from Spain. It's like once again shocking everybody. Very much divisive. Like not a crowd pleaser, but it's so fucking weird. So I'm excited for people to experience that one. That's got like art house horror, cult classic written all over it. Um, Candyland, of course, that comes out oh, yeah. very soon, January 6th. So it kind of just misses that mark a little bit. And then my final one is I totally forgot about this, but I was looking back at like earlier things from the year Future Fiction, which is the uh, 360 horror uh, found footage horror film I saw at the Unnamed oh, Footage right. Festival in San Francisco. And it's like this incredible witch found footage movie that's shot with a 360 camera. And it's, like, got one of the most harrowing, like, 30-minute long takes I've ever seen. And it's this incredible, like, revenge movie. It's just so good. And I really want to see that. I really... Someone please distribute it. I know it's kind of weird, but it's so good. And I just need more people to see it and advocate for it. And I don't know, like, when it's going to ever come out. But it's just, like, one of the most interesting movies I've ever seen. So... Oh yeah. I don't want that to be lost. So those are kind of the big ones and looking back at all of the fucking movies we watched this year. <laughs> yeah, uh so with mine like I had Project Wolf Hunting which you talked about um unidentified objects which is um oh, I talked about yeah. it on Little Cuts about this uh gay uh little person and um his alien obsessed neighbor go on a road trip yeah. for their place in the universe. That one's really not horror but but like genre adjacent. Um, Satanic Hispanics, which was oh, a yeah. a fun and my gosh, why did why did the word just leave my head? Anthro anthology film. Uh, my God, I just kept wanting to say anthropology. <laughs> I'm like it's not fucking anthropology. Yes, uh, this uh, <laughs> fun little and um, God, I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> anthology film. Jesus Christ, Terry. Uh, this uh, this fun anthology film uh, directed by a lot of um, 
Spanish uh, filmmakers that is quite entertaining. Really like that one. That's um, from my place well, of work. It is. Anyway. <laughs> uh, another one that I saw that I, I really I really want to write about um, is Huesera. It's now been subtitled Huesera the Bone Woman. I'm so excited. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I have a lot of, th- lot of thoughts on this one in terms of uh, queer representation and what it's doing um, with subverting a lot of expectations in terms of what we typically see in a possession film okay yeah i want to write about it it's Hell great yeah. it's a it's a fantastic movie and then finally dawning which oh, i know you saw yeah the korean movie yeah oh my god <gasps> oh yeah it all it all came back to me <laughs> oh my god that that movie is a lot that it surprised the hell out of me. Um, Good God! Yeah, I I really can't say much about it. Uh, yeah, that's a movie. Ruin. It's like, but uh, keep that one on your on your yeah. roster. I'm, I think that's going to be um, a surprise for a lot of people next year. It was really good. I'm hoping yeah. that it'll come out next year. Hopefully, I haven't heard anything actually, but Mm-mm, I haven't either. Fingers crossed. But uh, but yeah, those are those are the ones that um really stuck out to me this year. There was a, a lot. We saw a lot of festivals, and I'm sure we're missing a number that of them. But like. Yeah. Those are the ones that, like, for me, just instantly, as I was looking back at my letterbox list, just jumped out at me. as like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And then, you know, let's look to the future a little bit and talk about what we're looking forward to next year. Um, You know, well, I'm looking forward to all these these festival favorites coming out for sure. Um, yeah, some of these, yeah. Some of them. Um, the ones that at least have distribution. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Scream movie. Wow, I think that's right. going to be that's fun. Scary. Yeah, I'm very curious what they're gonna do with New York, mm-hmm. but I'm excited to see that it's gonna be the other. It's gonna be another year of the franchise. I feel like because there's gonna be the Evil Dead, the new Evil Dead movie, which I'm which I'm not, really excited. I'm for. so fucking excited for New Scream. We have the new Insidious movie, and Patrick Wilson yeah. is directing for the first time the Insidious movie. Yeah. Um, come on our podcast, Patrick. <laughs> I promise I won't call you Dad, Daddy to your Daddy. face. I will. <laughs> <laughs> why lie? Why lie? Twilight timeline. There's a bunch of of other ones, but those are like the big franchise ones I'm excited for. I know there's going to be like The Exorcist Exorcist coming out next year. Yeah, but like, I'm not like excited for that. Friend of the Pod, Brandon Cronenberg's new movie is coming out, Infinity Pool. It looks fucking wild. Mia Uh, Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. I'd watch that sex tape. So, um, uh, yes, please. And that's going to be at Sundance. In, yeah, it's going to be at Sundance in January, and I'm very excited to watch it at Sundance and just silently sit in my apartment salivating over this movie. It it gives the trailer. Have you watched the trailer? Yeah. It gives me big crimes of the future vibes. So what if him and his dad are making like some weird joint world together? Wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be fucking awesome. Anyway. Um, and then I'm also really excited. I think it comes out in 2023. The new Kevin Williamson slasher, Sick. Sick, yeah. I've heard I, a lot of good things about it. I've heard really good things about it, but I wasn't able to see it. They wouldn't send me a screener, rude. And so I just Same. like really want to fucking see it. I've heard such good things. Yeah, I'm so here for that. I'm very excited for that one, too. I think there's going to be some good stuff next year. Disappointment Boulevard. Yeah, now it's Bo is Afraid, I think, is what they changed the oh, name is it? to. Okay. Yeah, um, that's the new Ari Aster movie that's like three and a half hours long. What is with these white men? John <laughs> Chantel Ackerman and John Dealman is they're the only ones allowed to be three and a half hours long. 
But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be another great year for horror movies. I'm excited for all the things that are going to pop up at festivals that are going to be like yeah, surprising because we have Sundance so soon. So I'm always like excited to see what that's like, what is in in store for us there. Uh, all right, so let's let's turn to the to the pod a little bit. What was your favorite little cuts discovery or you know <sighs> discoveries? For okay, this year? I, have a, I have a couple because okay. I was looking through my letterbox. So again, I was like. Fuck, I've forgotten everything that like, we've ever covered. So thank, thank God I'm usually pretty good about like logging things on Letterboxd. My number one was Exotica. That's the, on mine too. Uh... Um, we watched that towards the end of our erotic thriller watch through. That, and that was actually at the end of the, the end of January of this year. So mm-hmm. it was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen. And I think was like a profoundly affecting experience for me. And I still like think about the way I felt when I watched that movie for the first time. It's been a year. So, and I bought it and it came to Criterion this year. I own it now on Blu-ray. It's beautiful. I forgot it came to Criterion. I I know that I will ask no one. I don't feel like I can watch that. Like the movie feels kind of dirty. So I don't think I ever want to watch it with anybody, but it's, it, that was like the best movie I watched. That like was the best movie that we watched for the podcast. Like one of the best movies I've ever watched for the podcast. <laughs> like that and Black Christmas. It was, so good. it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah, that was on mine. I only had two on mine, but that one was like up there. Once I was looking back from my list and I saw that, I was like, oh, that was this year. Yes, that was so good. I just I was I was blown away by it. Oh yeah. And that was a recommendation from from Joe Lipsit, friend of the uh, show. Joe. Chef's Kiss. Incredible recommendation. So good. Yeah. Um, I had another one from Erotic Thrillers, The Boy Next Door, solely because of the first edition of the Odyssey first line. Edition. <laughs> I had to bring it up because it's my favorite. Like, it's the best moment. Just discussing that, like, I bought oh you. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so good. So good. Uh, that was a queer camp classic right there. I know, but then. Just to run through my list, I only have a couple more. Eyes of Fire. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was just, like, so weird. And, like, I just like, kind of stuck with me. I'm thinking about folklore. And I think a lot about it. I need to rewatch both of these. But, like, that and Ravenous kind of was, like, an interesting kind of comparison mm. in my head a little bit. With, like, the use of the American frontier and all this, like, discussion mm-hmm. of indigenous populations and mysticism and shit. But I just really liked that movie, like stuck with me more than I expected it to. Um, then The Old Dark House, just, I figured that That's would be on, on your list too. Um, just out of the horror comedies after thinking about it, looking back at what we watched, like just queer, incredible James Whale, like, fuck yeah. And then Chucky. I mean, I know we're doing the Child's Play stuff, but like, I'm so glad I'm watching all the Child's Play movies. <laughs> like, I'm having the best time, having an excuse to finally catch up with everything. So... Yeah, those are my favorites. We've watched some good shit this year. It was I was looking through everything. I was like, we've watched some really good stuff. Like Yeah. But what else was on your list? I mean, I just kept it to two. Exotica and the old Dark House were the (laughs) ones that like literally jumped out at me. Um as being some of the best cinema that I've experienced this year as a first time watch that wasn't from this year. Like just I, the old dark house just like really spoke to me in yeah. such a in such a way. Like I was not prepared for it to simultaneously create and lampoon its own genre, or like subgenre of horror is like the old dark house kind of horror because we've seen that repeated throughout 
history of like strangers appearing at a mansion and spooky shit goes down. Like that's been Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like it's been lampooned yeah. through much, but here it's both a horror comedy, very sly, um, very dry and witty horror comedy, but it's also creating this entire cinematography of how we, we think of the Gothic mansion. And it's just, it's so fucking gorgeous. And I just, I don't know. It was like, if I wanted to live in a movie, I would want to live in that movie for a while. Cause it's just, I don't know. There's just something very special about it. Yeah. And I was so happy to finally see it. Yeah. Me too. Hell yeah. What about your favorite episodes? Our, our actual interviews and full episodes. And I kind of, I want to hear what you're, I feel like we probably have a couple of similar ones, but I want to hear your list. So I, I kind of split this into two. I wanted to talk okay. about two movies that were first time watch for me this year because of the podcast that I just really was so happy to finally experience. And that was the other. Oh, that's on my, that's on my list too. It was from episode 146 with our conversation with the orphan first kill director, William Brent Bell, where he introduced the other, not the others, the other from the 1970s that like, is this creepy kid movie that kind of invents a whole lot of, sub uh like uh, sub horror tropes that we see sub genre horror tropes words are hard that we'll see repeated throughout time and it's in this little movie that not a lot of people talk about and it's a fantastic movie i really wish it would get seen from like the criterion collection or someone would pick it up and really do um a, really do it justice and bring it back to our collective um experiences because that movie i absolutely loved and then yeah. another one was a few episodes later, episode 152, where we watched Carnival of Souls mm-hmm. with uh, the Den filmmaker, Zachary Donahue. That movie, first time watch for me, blew me away. Loved it. Yeah, I agree. That was, that didn't make my, I was going to put that on my list because that was like, that movie blew me away. And now, of course, I own it because it was an incredible experience. Um, I also have the Killing Fields episode with Maddie Doe, which is episode yep. 123. I know that was one of our favorite episodes we've ever done. But between talking to Maddie Doe, who directed The Long Walk that came out this year about grief and the loss of her dog, but then also talking about the killing fields and like her family's own experience with a to- with the topic and just, it was such an incredibly personal and honest conversation. Um, yep. Again, and you know, it wasn't like our normal kind of horror movie, what you think of as a horror movie, but I think those are sometimes our best episodes. So mm-hmm. it was an honor to talk to her and have her share so much of that with us. So that was definitely, I think my favorite episode of this entire year. Yeah. That was definitely on, on my favorite episode list. Yeah. Did you have others? Yeah. So I also really enjoyed our conversation about don't look now with Vanessa and Joseph winter, because I had mm-hmm. seen don't look now before, but I had in the episode, which episode one fifty five. I watched it with my dad who really didn't like it and was like shitting on it the whole time. And this time I watched it and fell in love with it. Like, I actually fell in love with it. And so I think that conversation really just, I was just so glad to bring this movie back into my head as something that was, I knew was really good, but like being able to like be in a place to really appreciate it, I think was really important for me this year. So, and then I also had a couple, a couple of the other ones I have on here were mostly just because they were really fun to talk about. Um, I had Willy Wonka episode 122 yep. with uh maggie robertson who is lady dumatresque she's just really fun and that was a really cool she conversation was. with her um the changeling episode 125 with robbie banfitch uh because it's <laughs> fucking chaotic too. of all time <laughs> like if you want an episode that is just like oh. not it's if you want something different but not like in like a, an emotional way but in like a 
what is happening kind of experimental audio experience kind of way that's what you should listen to that episode it's really awesome Go off the fucking rails with that Robbie one. was just like smoking cigarettes the whole time it was absolutely incredible it um, was incredible uh the good son conversation with Devin Doss episode 136 oh yeah because we I this movie freaks me out so much so it was wild to get to revisit it and like relive my step child like step sister step brother trauma <laughs> And then uh, the one of our most recent episodes, 164, The Exorcist Again with John Arley and Nettie was just a really, really cool, like, look. And we don't have – we have a lot of guests, like, within a certain age range. Yeah. So getting a guest like John, who has a little bit more – not a little – like, has a lot more experience and kind of has been Mm -hmm. around the industry longer than a lot of our guests have been – was really cool to get his perspective on the genre and hearing all these really cool stories like that was just a really cool episode full of horror history that i had like never known about so that was just like another one of my favorites so yeah i mean we have a lot of crossovers robbie Banfitch and the changeling <laughs> i literally wrote for the pure chaos and good times it was my yeah. rationale for it um i had maddie doe because the raw emotion um i cried while we were recording that episode yeah the the talks about the, the animals really hit me um just like that that whole that whole episode was just it, it was just it's perfection i think that episode yeah. is, is our best episode honestly I um i also had maggie robertson because fuck it's lady demetrask and i can't believe that we got her on her podcast and that was so wild to me i also had john leonetti on it because i could have listened to him talk forever i wish we'd had more time to like just hear about his stories because he's this is a person like you said mary beth and i was thinking about i I feel like we're sharing the same brain right now because (laughs) a lot of our guests are you know first-time directors or people that have been working for a small amount of time and this was like someone who has been working in the industry for years i mean he was uh I think he said a PA on um, Poltergeist. Like we're talking like he wasn't even 80s. A, he was like, we're talking he was like a grip. He like held a microphone. Grip, yes, the like, grip. It was like something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a grip. Like, something super basic. Yeah, and so like he's been he's been working in Hollywood and working in cinema and and creating the look of horror films as a DP. It's just like hearing all of his stories, and he was just such a kind, warm hearted person that I was just like, I wish we had another hour to just listen to you <laughs> kind of yeah, so. nostalgic talk about all the stuff you've been involved with. It was so good. It was so and cool. then the final one that I had was queer for fears author, um, Dr. Heather Pet- Petrocelli and Silkwood, because it was such an insightful conversation. I loved hearing, um, talking to her about her study about queer horror. So I loved cool. all of that. Like it was, and she was such a warm person as well. It was just a, a great conversation. Yeah. And I'm glad I watched Silkwood. Never would have watched that yeah. depressing Same. ass experience. <laughs> Same. Um, we when I was going through the list of all of our episodes, we've had just another incredible year. Like it was so hard to pick. I know I had a lot on my list, but like there were just so many good conversations that either the movie was incredible or the person was just really fun. And it's just like so cool that we've had so many good conversations. And it's just I'm proud of us for another really cool year. I know. I- Much higher percentage of good to bad conversations yes would agree 10 out of 10 (laughs) would agree with that um but switching gears back to like you know 2022 as a whole Mm -hmm. let's talk about the year and some of our maybe our favorite moments favorite performances and kind of just reflect on 
going back to what I was talking about from 2022, like what I was talking about both, both at the beginning. But yeah, what, what did you have your pin on? What, what were you? So I'm curious. My thing with 2022 is I think what's happening is we're seeing like I think we had you know early 2000 like the 2000s were like kind of a swing and like the campy like torture porny not as like emotionally maybe deep movies. And then in the, like, 2010s to 2020s, these are all very sweeping generalizations. Like, mm-hmm. I'm speaking in sweeping generalizations. So we had kind of, like, the elevated horror movement kind of build in, like, the 2010s. And we had, like, all of those movies kind of come up and we had, like, the kind of higher brow horror movies take mm-hmm. dominance. And I think what we're seeing now in 2022 is an equalization of that, where we aren't just all highbrow and we're not all just, like bloody slasher gore for entertainment's sake like we're kind of hitting a really interesting equilibrium which means i don't think we're we get as many like emotionally affecting horror movies but we also get a ton of movies that like barbarian and smile that are like original and aren't you know i guess smile has like a deeper meaning obviously but like we get these movies that are swinging for the fences a little bit more in terms of being ridiculous and not trying to convey a higher meaning. And even the mm-hmm. higher meaning movies, I think, are trying to like shy away from being too highbrow. And I think there's an interesting equilibrium happening right now, which is, I think, why it kind of explains why it feels like there's a lot of really good movies, but not yep. as many that have like the gut punch that like maybe a relic had on us a couple of years ago or hereditary. Like, I think because we're moving more towards less full-on trauma porn movies into, like, yeah. So it's interesting to see the trends, how, like, the trends are swinging. Yeah, I think we're on the same page because I I was thinking – when, I think years from now, once we start to look back at at this time period, we're going to see that the last two years have been kind of a transitionary period. Yeah. Um, that is probably moving a little bit away from the kind of high-minded type of stuff that we've that has dominated the last decade-ish, I would say. Yeah. Um, I because I, I do think there's a lot of stuff that's popping up on our list that might have maybe some highbrow thoughts in the back of its mind, but it's still giving us pure genre. And I think that that might also be, as you Mm -hmm. um, sort of stated, why it's sort of hard to, I think it's going to be kind of hard because the last few years we've done this, there have been movies that have been gut punch of movies that like just, yes, this is my favorite movie of the year. Easy, easy to descriptors. Mm -hmm. But like this year, there was a whole lot more um, entertainment, I would say, in terms of like being a more entertaining film than necessarily something with, high-minded type of metaphors and ideals and and all that kind of stuff going on there. So I, I, yeah. I agree. I, I do think that a few years down the line, we're going to see this as a transitionary period into whatever's coming next, maybe a combination. Yeah. And I think it also, I also think it reflects how people are going back to theaters too. Cause I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. we saw Nope, Smile, Barbarian, um, Scream, Terrifier 2 even, like, kind of marked the return of the big kind of blockbuster. And it feels weird to call Terrifier a blockbuster, but, like, it kind of weirdly falls into that category now, which is fucking wild. But of, like, wanting people to go back to the movies and and kind of realizing, and understandably so, that, like, the wider population is not, like, going to always want to go see Hereditary. Like, they want the more entertaining, like... And we'll talk about this. Like, all of these movies are smart. They're not, like, mm-hmm. like you're saying, they're still very smart, but they're entertainment forward. Like, again, like you're saying, it's focused on entertaining and scaring and kind of 
eliciting this emotion, more emotional reaction from you that's like fun, and then having the deeper conversations kind of going on a little bit more in the background. Yeah, which is interesting, and I think it's again, yeah, a lot less slow burns, I would say. Yeah, which is so funny because like I watched a lot of slow burns this year, but it's like oh, I did too because of but also like we're a little bit different because we're watching all of like the festival slow burn movies that not as many people are going to see. But I also think in a lot of those slow burns are like the movies that are even like the indie festival movies have got are similar. Like there's just so much weird shit and there always is, but I just feel like things are getting even weirder. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. Yeah. Thumbs up. hundred <laughs> percent. I also think this year was the, obviously the year of the franchise. I mean, we had Jesus Texas Chainsaw Christ. Massacre. <laughs> we had Scream. We had Prey. We had Hellraiser. We have Halloween. Am I missing anything? <laughs> oh God. It was, we're having the Chucky TV Hocus series. Pocus. Um, Hocus, Hocus Pocus came back. Like, no. this is definitely, like, the year of know. old things Pearl coming back. Pearl is becoming a franchise, but it's not the same thing. It's different. Not the same but, thing, but yeah. Yeah. It really was, though. It was, like, the year of reboots and reimaginings. And we were seeing that. We started seeing that more. But I, this year was definitely the big, like, horror events back to back to back kind of a situation mm-hmm. we almost had a evil dead rise came almost came out this year if hbo max didn't shit the bed with all of its programming and luckily we're getting a theatrical experience of this movie which is what was oh, not originally in the cards so but excited for a theatrical experience of this oh it's gonna be so good the credit rules but i i also think that this year there were some like incredible powerhouse performances mostly from women in horror but there was a couple of men that also released it out and i just like made a list of all of the girlies who i from this year that have been in either multiple or like really incredible roles in horror because there was a lot of them this year like this was the year of jenna ortega everyone knows Queen. this girlie jenna ortega and scream uh she was in x and uh, she was in and she's wednesday obviously so she is like big now in the whole like horror world now. She is like scream queen extraordinaire. Um then we also have uh Micah Monroe had the big year this year between Significant Other mm-hmm. and Watcher. Um she's incredible. Then I also uh Olivia Lucardi is my big breakout, my other big breakout star of the year. Like Jenna Ortega is gonna get all the attention, but Olivia Lucardi was in Soft and Quiet and she was in Candyland. And I think that like she is someone to really keep an eye on. She's really, really scary. And she had some really incredible performances this year. Obviously, we had Mia Goth. Everyone's talking about Mia Goth. We know. We get it. She's cool. <laughs> I love her. But then we also have, I wanted to shout out Anna Diop, who, Diop, who was in Nanny, who was the lead in Nanny. Oh, mm-hmm. She's incredible. And then Laura Galan from Piggy. She is also incredible. And then the two dudes I'd like to shout out are Owen Campbell, who was in... Um, he was an ex with Jenna Ortega. He was also in Candyland. And then he was also in something else that I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But he was in My Heart Can't, your, my heart can't Beat Unless You Tell It To last year. And he is in a bunch of stuff now. And he is another incredible horror actor to keep your eye on. So, and then my last shout out is Neil Maskell and Bull. He was just real scary. I talked about him in um, our Little our little Cuts episode about how scary he is in that movie. But... Those are just, like, there was just some really good performances this year. Like, even if a movie maybe didn't totally speak to me, it was, like, the performances 
there are some just like incredible performances this year. So for me, I want to add to that uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown. Oh, also yes. Oh. In Scream and Yellow Jackets, giving us fantastic performances, as well as uh, Lauren Ambrose from uh, Servant. And also, oh, she's going to be yeah. in Yellow Jackets oh my God, this that's next right. year. She's leaving, uh, leaving Servant to go do uh, uh, Yellow Jackets. And I'm super excited her. to see. I'm super excited to see her continue on. Yeah. But it's also the uh, the year, like, I was thinking about monologues um, between Rebecca Hall, her monologue in Resurrection, and Mia Goth in Pearl. Uh-huh. I'm sure there's more, but those are the two that, like, jumped up to my head. Because I know that I've said, like, oh, here's another monologue. We've had a lot this I year. I mean, but... The Righteous was the movie of monologue. It was the movie oh, of that's monologues. Right. Mm-hmm. It was really, yeah. There was a lot of waxing poetic this year. There really was. Which is... is... Interesting. Also the year of food and the year of cannibals. Oh my god, the year of food. It is the year of food and cannibals. I was so into the fact that it, it was like culinary horror year between the menu and then Flex Gourmet and the Andy Baker tape. It was... And fresh. And fresh. Oh yeah, because that, that's cannibals and it's... And food. And then we have... Keeping company. Uh, yep, and then we have Bones and All. There was a French cannibal movie too. Feed Me was one Feed as well. Feed Me. Yeah, Jesus. Are we okay? A lot of cannibals. A lot of cannibals this year. Are we okay as a society? Probably not, right? (laughs) Probably not. And it was also a good year for found footage. I read a whole list about it for Dread Central, so we don't have to talk about it for too long. But we had, you know, we had Deadstream. We had VHS 99. We had Incantation. Like, we had some big, like, found footage, like, pillars happening. And then we'll have, obviously, the Outwaters next year. But then there was some really good, like, under under the radar stuff that was really cool. There was one on your list that I was like, ooh, I need to add this to my list. And I can't remember what it was called. So I am vamping, revamping, revamping some more. Does it have to do with video games? Deadware. Deadware? Yeah, Isaac Rodriguez. Isaac Rodriguez makes a million fucking found footage movies a year. He is prolific. He actually works with Thomas Burke, who we talked about the Barbados Project, Mm -hmm. which was also on my list. But that one is a really cool like throwback to video like 2001 early video games it like brought me back horror. just seeing yeah. that 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 screenshot that you included brought me back to the early 2000s uh, yeah for sure and i was like ooh, i should add this one to my <laughs> to my list yes it's it's good as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So, before we get into our top ten... We're going to share some movies that didn't fully make the cut. And I feel like I have so many movies that didn't make the cut. Because there were so many good movies that I wanted to include. And this is really hard. This was very hard. I had a... 
I honestly, I feel like maybe the top six through ten of my movies could have been swapped with a lot of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a very similar experience. Let's hear so it. So what are some? Oh, oh okay. Well, you first. <laughs> uh I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not going to talk about some of these because I do think at least one of these is probably on your list, but Bones and All did not quite make my list. Oh, okay. Okay. Scream didn't quite make my list. It didn't make mine either. Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. I really know. enjoyed that one. I really enjoyed it. it was, that was on my honorable mentions list too. Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Did not make my list. Deadstream did not make my list. Yeah, me neither. Soft and Quiet. That one was very close. That one was... Very, very close. I'm including it because after our conversation, our two-hour-long conversation that we had for Patreon, I had a newfound appreciation for that film. Hellbender did not quite make my 10. Yeah. But I loved it. Yes. And Nope, which is probably the big surprise, oh, did not make my list. interesting. We'll see X didn't make my list. So okay. I had to make some sacrifices. I had to have a long, a long, hard conversation with myself. And I wanted to prioritize <laughs> movies that made me feel something more deep emotionally. <laughs> okay. Like, my top ten list, this is not like any, if people come for people for top ten lists. I'm like, you know, it's all like bubblegum and like paper clips about my rationale here. Like, who cares? Like, it's all about mm-hmm. how these movies made me like emotionally cry and feel about myself. Like, it's not, obviously this is not objective, but... I just had so many really good experiences watching movies this year. But um, I also had Two Witches on my list. Oh, yeah. Um, a movie that I really, really, really loved. Um, mm-hmm. It just didn't quite crack it. Um, Nanny, mm. which I really enjoyed. It didn't crack, but it's like very much, it's in my top 20. Um, the Innocence was another one. Didn't make my list, yeah. but I still really loved it. And I still want people to see it. Uh, the Harbinger, which was an incredible piece of COVID horror, the best piece of like pandemic COVID horror I've seen. Um, that kind of like had a lot of festival buzz and came out with nothing. And I'm like, wait, guys, this is a really good fucking movie. Like you should be watching it. Like what's going on? So that's frustrating to me. Um, and then two that were like kind of surprises for me were Brea Grant's Torn Hearts. Um, okay. the, mm-hmm. the country, like country horror. And I reckon I'm saying this one because like, not like, again, it didn't come out with a lot of like attention. And I think it's really, you, did you see this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love this like candy coated honky tonk country aesthetic in a horror movie with all of these women, like trying to just beat the shit out of each other. I think it is, I wish we had more of it. And I think it's really fun. I think Katie Seagal has a really incredible performance in this. The outfits are incredible. So I think that's like one of the fun horror movies that really flew under the radar this year that more people should check out. Mm-hmm. And then Significant Other, which is a, which is a huge surprise. Yeah. The Micah Monroe, Jake Lacey movie from the guys who did Villains. I was just really surprised at how much this surprised me and how much fun I had with it. So Okay, if you haven't seen this movie yet, or you, or, or you care about spoilers, skip ahead about 10 seconds. Because this was on like my favorite, if I were to have like a favorite moment of the year this one would be on it because this forest movie turns into a fucking shark attack movie in the best way possible and it killed me and i was cackling with joy and a spoiler welcome back (laughs) so those were some of the ones i really wanted to shout out i'll be posting screenshots of my top 20 on twitter just because i hate making decisions 
and numbers are rough, but a top 28 podcast episode would take fucking forever. It would take <laughs> but forever. I'll post screenshots of those because there are just so many good movies this year and like really surprising, unique movies. And I think directors really kind of like this year we're seeing people like how people have swung for the fences the past couple of years, like pre slash early COVID and like these filmmakers are kind of finally getting their due and it's very exciting. I agree. Well, oh no! I guess we're up to our top okay. ten. It's finally happening. So, uh, yes, I think Mary I Beth. feel confident. I think I feel confident in this list. <laughs> well, so what? What? Start us off. What is your top ten horror movie of twenty twenty two? Okay, so sliding in in the number ten spot for me is "When I Consume You," directed by Perry Blackshear. Oh shit! That was such a good one. I. So this has been hovering in like the 11 to 13 spot for a while. Cause I, I, so I was like, I have to include like these movies. Like I have to, wa- I, I was foolish. Like I have to include these movies. Like I have to. No, you don't. Fuck that. Who's, who's to say? And so I actually ended up taking out a couple bigger titles, including X to put in movies this year that had such a deeply profound emotional impact on me when I watched them. And like, re- affecting because i think i have had this is getting personal sorry i've had a hard time this year with burnout and being excited about movies this year because you know not to complain but when your job is watching movies all the time it becomes really hard to enjoy them as much as you used to and so a lot of these movies that i'm talking about on this list like made me excited to watch movies again and when i consume you is just a movie that made me so excited for what horror can do in terms of creating like deeply emotional, upsetting storytelling that isn't just scary. And we talked to Perry Blackshear, which is an incredible conversation. But yeah, I think this one is just, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. And I think it's just one of those quiet releases that came out this year that really like, I love Benson and Moorhead. This deserves just as much love as a Benson and Moorhead movie. Like it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. So that's, that's my number 10. That's a good, that's a good choice. Uh, it should have been at least in my, uh, top 15. I'm sad that I didn't include that with my, there's just so many movies. I, um, I know. And this one like fluctuated. And then I was like, oh, no, I have to put it in there. It, it's just, yeah. yeah. What about I you? I think, well, so I think what I'm what I'm hearing from what you're saying is similar to me. Um, yeah, I'm not writing about movies as much as you are. Like you are writing so much about movies, but the burnout is real. I went back to look at my yeah. site and I realized I haven't reviewed a movie in a very long time, and it's because I just have. It's been a rough year. It's been a rough year. Um, I've not been really excited about cinema um, this this last year, uh, and so the movies that sort of like keep popping up to me are ones that. Listen, I think the other thing is is that I'm 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 going to be 42 in a couple of weeks and it's hard for me to get excited about the same old kind of movies that I've been seeing. And I feel like yeah. and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more once we get to a particular movie, but um there are a lot it's really hard to surprise me anymore and I think I'm getting kind of bored. Um so uh-huh. my list is movies this year that sort of like were unexpected. Unexpected surprises for the most part is what we'll be seeing. But my 10 slot um, if you've been listening to us for um, as long as we've been doing this, I reserve it for a movie that I think needs more attention. 
And this one that is my 10th spot, skewers, the rich, politicians, generational wealth, corporate greed, through a lens of like horror tropes, including cannibalism. Um, we've, there's been a, as we said, there's been a number of cannibal films this year. And this one was the biggest surprise for me when I saw it at Panic Fest last year. It's Keeping Company. Mm. Oh, yay. Keeping Company. We had, uh, Devin Doss, the the co-writer, or I think co-writer and also the actor, um, on the podcast. And it's about a pair of insurance salesmen who kind of forest gump their way into being caught by a serial killer who, um, has been like kidnapping forgotten members of society to for their meat because he is selling it to different corporations for cheap food. And meanwhile, there's like insurance company that the, that the agents are working for that like don't want to pay out their life insurance. And so there's some of that going on. Meanwhile, there's like a politician who's running on a, I'm sweeping up the, 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 the junk on the street type of, I'm using quotations, <laughs> uh, type of campaign. And it sort of viciously skewers like all aspects of capitalism and corporate greed and the ruthlessness it takes to succeed in that. And it's very funny and it plays with genre incredibly well. And if you're going to go see a cannibal movie about rich corporate um, things and you have a choice between fresh and keeping company, I'm going to give you keeping company because it's Agreed. a much better film. Sorry about it. So that's my my top ten. That's my number ten. Just I'm as so a... glad. Yeah, I I was really I know because you had been talking about it for a bit, and I was so glad it came out this year and we could watch it. And again, I know there more people need to see. It's a really good cannibal satire. One would call it biting. You know, because cannibals. You know, yeah. What? <laughs> it's cannibalism. You know, it's just a, yeah. <laughs> biting. <laughs> I'm here nice. all week, folks. <laughs> Uh, All right. So that's my, our number 10. So what about number nine for you, Mary Beth? Okay. Number nine is another movie that was an emotional gut punch that made me cry. Mm. Um, this is Addison Hyman's uh, Hypochondriac, mm. which mm-hmm. we talked about when it first came out at South by Southwest. It is a movie that has spoken to me incredibly deeply because it is about a queer person who is estranged from, a, estranged from a parent and then the mental illness of that parent begins manifesting in the person and they start spiraling and going through a mental breakdown as they are kind of grappling with their kind of newly uh, intensifying mental illness, which is an experience very directly correlates to experiences I have had, which is very scary and very hard to watch on screen and also very validating. And it was a very, difficult watch but also a very important watch and an incredibly important movie i think this is one of the most hopeful queer horror movies i've ever seen which is hard which sounds strange when you watch it but the ending is so incredibly hopeful in a way that like is perfect so i i think it's just like one of the best queer horror movies we've seen in a while especially in terms of grappling with characters who are complicated and not perfect and also just like there's no good or bad. It's all just like a fucking black and white, not black and white, like a, just a gray wash fucking mess of a situation. And I just think Addison did an incredible job with it. And I think, you know, it just spoke to me on such a ridiculously deep emotional level that I had to keep, I had to put it, but there was just like, uh, no, this is one of the few, mo- like, uh, this is one of those movies that just like so deeply spoke to me this year. I was like, how the fuck did you like pull that very specific experience out of my brain and put it on screen? So that's yeah. my number nine. 
It's not on my list, although I feel like it should be. I'm now, I'm now looking at my list and thinking, damn, I should have included that one. Because... <laughs> That's going to be us this whole time. We're just going to be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Because, like, for me, it's that ending. It's that ending yeah. of acceptance and yes. understanding that things aren't going to go away, but that you can find a path forward through it. And you can find love, too. Like you are, And you can find love. You are inherently lovable, no matter what. And we all really need to hear that more than I think we ever care to admit. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, so that one, uh, <laughs> yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, ha, that one definitely, that, that ending in particular, just like really, yeah, it should have yeah. been on this list. <laughs> too many good movies. Um, okay. What about you? What is your number nine? My number nine is the fact that one of my biggest disappointments this year was not being able to see a Dan Trachtenberg sci-fi horror film on the big screen. And we've had a lot of franchises this year, a lot of sequels this year. Um, but this one seemed to understand the heritage of its source material and played with it in fun and surprising ways. I'm talking about Prey, the Predator prequel, sequel, Predator, Predator Universe, movie. the PCU. Um, it harkens... The PCU. <laughs> it harkens back to the original Predator by presenting heroes who are kind of are outclassed by an alien threat, but through their like, you know, determination, learning, growing, and some luck are able to fight back against overwhelming forces. Um, it plays ex with expectations incredibly well, and with the little dialogue is able to give us enough story about the character motivations that I was completely on board. I do think there's some iffy sight CG and effects work um, yeah. in some parts of it. But this is easily the best Predator sequel we've gotten, and I would say it actually holds its own against the original. Also, Predator is daddy, and I would fuck him. The Predator reveal when like the the bear blood is like oh so good, so good, and uh, Amber Mid Thunder in that fucking movie. She's I mean, incredible as Naru, incredible, and I just love that she is like a badass female character who is shown making mistakes like mm -hmm. any other person, but also just being like a resourceful badass and that, all that stupid discourse about like, Hey, women can do that. Shut the fuck up. Like, shut the fuck up. Shut, shut your hole. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear it. Or the so calls that she's a Mary Sue. I'm like, dude, do you not see the points where she fucks up where she learns from her fuck ups yeah, and like, takes everything that she learned and uses it against the predator, just like Arnold did. Hello. Yeah. Again, if people just want to find problems, it's like, it's woke. I'm like, just cause there's a chick in it. And that like, Indigenous people are playing indigenous I just characters. Had <laughs> it doesn't mean it's well, like it just—it's so wild, like that these are the kind. Like it's literally an alien fighting people. It's like the same, but even more badass because it's bad. Like it's just whatever. Anyway, yes, this is not on my list, but I had a really fun time watching it. I was so surprised, and I think this was like an interesting test case of like, oh look, like a streaming, a streamer like like a streaming movie like this can really do well because I feel like this is one of the like top performing like streaming only releases. Mm -hmm. I feel like it beat out Hellraiser. I don't have literally anything to prove with that. I think that's true. I should have done research, but yeah, like it did. It was so successful, which I think is awesome. And shout out to Dan for including a um, Comanche. Was it Comanche? Comanche, yeah, Comanche. Comanche language. Track of it, filming the scenes twice. Look, in order I'm to just, that. I am going to be a Debbie Downer and say I wish an indigenous person would have oh, directed of course. it. But it's still really good. <laughs> Here I come. Of course. The woke police. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, it, it's incredibly well done. 
all right. All right. Number eight. What's your right, eight? So taking like a full like tonal shift to a movie that just like <laughs> left me very just like in awe of what was happening. Uh, this is Orphan First Kill, William Brent Bell's uh, prequel to Orphan. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us were pretty on the fence about whether or not this would be a good movie. Because um, mm-hmm. how do you make Isabel Furman, who is a full-grown adult, into, or, like, who is now actually full-grown and no longer a child, how do you make her look like a child again? Uh, the answer is camera trickery and platform boots, and it's incredible, and Julia Stiles is in it, and they are just turning camp performance like no other, and it's just so fucking fun. Like, that movie had no right to be as fun as it is, but William Brad Bell just kind of embraces the wildness of it and just goes for it and it's one of my biggest surprises of the year how much i enjoyed this movie and the fact that it's even on my list um it's a a little fun it's a little further down on my list just because it was like i'm sorry it's like junk food a little bit like it's 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 junk food and there's nothing wrong with that at all it was really fun but there's a lot of junk food on my list yeah like but damn I just had so much fun with that movie. <laughs> it's great. It's a lot of yeah. fun. It's a lot of fun. Is it on your list further up? I don't know. Oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so I can always tell. I can always like, hmm. But then, okay. So that's my number eight. And what about your number eight? My number eight is probably a stretch for the horror genre, but I will say that I think it plays with horror con- conceits and like the thriller language enough that I'm including it. It's also probably a dark horse contender because I sometimes think I'm in the minority on this one, but Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was one of my favorite oh, theatrical experiences okay. this year. You are I thought it the was... third person I've seen put that on their like a top 10 oh, list really? this year. Yeah. Two of the Dread Central staff writers put it on their top tens. Too. Okay. I, I just, I found it funny, slightly suspenseful, um, and a mean spirited take on kind of an Agatha Christie story. Uh, I knew immediately what happened and how the person died or what that that i knew immediately kind of sort of what happened but maybe not the how and the why it happened that the film was building towards but like that didn't ruin my experience or dampen the satire of the film i think the cast is uniformly great it was a joy to see rachel uh senate is that her name senate senate i think senate from shiva baby just going bonkers and just having a great time it was a little on the nose with the like podcasting thing podcasting is really hard yeah it is preach rachel i'm here with for it uh and yes i would love to be the meat between a lee pace and a pete davidson sandwich so that's oh yeah it's just i enjoyed bodies bodies i enjoyed it a lot um i think it's junk food I think people were, like, unnecessarily shitty about it. I don't think it's got, mm. like, the... Mille- like, we talked about this when we first saw it. It's not, like, the, like, TikTok millennial jargon. It's, like, actually quite smart. And I think mm-hmm. the marketing really did it a disservice of trying to kind of make it seem like it was dumb. Like, about dumb mm-hmm. people who were just, like, vapid. Like, yeah, they're vapid, but they're not all stupid. And the, the script is also really smart. So I think that was, like... It's a, a very smart script. It's a big bummer of a marketing thing from a 24 trying to be like, look, Charlie XCX and Pete Davidson. And it's just like, yeah, you, you, you had all of the ingredients. You just somehow fumbled the final product. But yeah, I, I, I really, that was a fun, that was a fun watch from this year. Like I said, this, this, my list is going to be a lot of that. Cause I just, it was, it surprised me 
It, and yeah. I think that that's what I was kind of looking for this year. Something yeah. to like re-energize my desire to watch cinema. Cinema. <laughs> All right. Number seven. What is your number seven? Lucky number seven. Um, Speaking of things that kind of mix it up or a little bit different. So my number seven is actually it's Peter Strickland's uh, new film Flux Gourmet, which is okay. one of the col- like the big culinary or well, big is a strong word, but one of the culinary horror films from this year. And I included this on here because it is just one of like the most unique and weird things I've seen all year. It's Peter, I mean, Peter Strickland, who did In Fabric, who did Barbarian Sound Studio. Like, he obviously very much has a style. Very much kind of a way of making movies. And this one is one of his most grounded movies, which is saying something that takes place in, like, a in a different world where instead of rock stars, the musicians, like musicians use food as instruments. And so it's like traveling groups of musicians who play food and do performance art. And it's very strange. And this, this collective gets a special grant to live at this conservatory for musicians, like food musicians and craft some beautiful, like magnum opus with food. And, the person who is basically like the journalist who is documenting their, um, like their time there and their, their, but their, their creations, um, has celiac disease and he's dealing with gastrointestinal issues while also being surrounded by food. And it is a movie that again, was kind of looked at like, ah, look, he farts a lot. Ha ha fart movie. But actually it's really fucking beautiful and smart and weird. And a really interesting movie about making art and the world around making art and like what it means to make art. And it's just really cool and really fucking weird. And it's just Strickland while being grounded, also making this absolutely bananagram surrealist space. And it's just another movie I wish we would seen this year. But if you're looking for like something just gorgeous to look at and kind of bizarre, but weirdly, affecting flux by yeah speaking of not seeing it i've not seen that one this year so uh uh i'm really kind of kicking myself for not seeing it it's it's that good shit it looks fun it's it, and gwendolyn christie is so hot in this movie it's mm. impeccably designed it's so weird it's so peter strickland so if you like any of his other movies you will love this one um hell yeah but what about your number seven? So when we were offered to speak with this director, we said yes before watching the film. And sometimes that can go completely south because we <laughs> tend to like to interview and share movies we believe in. And this particular movie should not have been good. And yet Orphan First Kill <laughs> managed to somehow blow the original film's twist out of the water for me. Uh, the script is deceptively smart. Uh, it kind of begins as a rehash of the first film, but then um, it begins to it. Uh, we have like this opening with the mental institution where where she's she's stuck at, and then after we get that, it kind of hits similar beats to uh, the original Orphan with Esther yeah. trying to fit in with the family, kind of falling for the father figure, eventually turning murderous. But it lulls you into thinking that this is just sort of like a, a cash grab kind of prequel type thing, but it starts to turn the tables at the midpoint and. The glorious twist had me gaping like a fish and cackling madly. I was like, this is fantastic. And it takes the kind of inherent camp of the first one and just sort of hits the pedal to the metal, blasting maniac the entire way. It's just a glorious, fun movie that should not work, 
but absolutely does. And I'm so excited that it was here. Right? God. Julia Stiles, mother. Mother, hello. Thank you, Julia Stiles. Thank you, Julia Stiles. The bitch is back. Oh, so, so good. good. God. Loved it. Bless. See what I mean? Yeah. It's like, having hypochondriac when I consume you, then orphan first kid. Like, God, what a good year for movies. <laughs> so weird. What a great the year. range. The range, absolutely. The range. Uh, All right. All right. Number six. Number six. Okay, so my number six is Nope, which is not okay. on your list. I know this, but Nope. I don't know what I expected from Nope. I try to, like, stay out of the discussion. Like, I try not to, like, watch the trailers too much or, like, kind of engage in the, the Jordan Peele, like, examination and kind of splitting apart because I sometimes feel like his movies have a tendency to maybe get overhyped. Um, that's not kind of to say that he, that, that means his movies are bad, but I just think people get so excited, reasonably so, but it's just like, you know, it just, getting overhyped and disappointed is always, you know, it's never fun, but you know, this is his third movie and he had been teasing about what it was going to be about for a very long time. And when I was like, going to be like a, like a fucking alien movie, I was like, okay, this is going to be incredible. And boy, oh boy, I saw it on the big screen. And talk mm. about a spectacle. I think that what Jordan Peele did here, and also fuck everyone who's like, it's not a horror movie. It's a goddamn, like, <laughs> Close Encounters, the third kind, E.T., blockbuster summer horror movie. I don't care what the fuck you say. The it's, sky rains blood. The sky rains blood. Like, I, I think that this is one of those movies, like, that is a perfect example of having this kind of, like, entertainment spectacle mask and then being really fucking smart underneath underneath it Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot going on here and discussing like prey and predator relationships power dynamics hollywood could like capitalism so many fucking things but i also think just like the the four core performances we've got david kalua as oj we've got um kiki palmer as emerald the brother and sister horse trainers that are incredible we've got um, Stephen Yoon as Ricky Park, Ricky Jute Park, who experienced uh, the chimpanzee massacring uh, uh, his TV family with his child, and then we have Brandon Pereira, Pereira, Cutie Patootie as like the third person in like the trio trying to figure out what's going on. And I just think this movie—I don't know—I think it's his it's his most grounded movie. I think it's his most like typical movie. Um, and I say that not as, like, a diss, but, like, I think it plays into, like, more expected tropes of, like, the summer blockbuster movie. But he still puts his twist on it, which, I again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's, some, like, the alien abduction moment with Jean Jacket is one of the scariest scenes of the entire year. And I just am so impressed by Jordan Peele's ability to take the sensibilities of a blockbuster, but also infuse, like, his intelligence into the movie. I just am always in awe of what he's able to create. And I just think like this was such an impressive feat of filmmaking. So the alien design is stunning. It's stunning. It's so good. I could have watched that movie forever. That was a movie I could have watched for a long time. I just love the world he created and like the cinematography and just everything about it was just gorgeous. So that's my number six. It's a great movie. Uh, it's weird that it's like, and I was looking at my list. I'm like, I know it, it could be higher, but there's just so many other good movies that I think had even more of an impact on me. And it's just like wild that 
there's that many good movies this year that kind of like knock for me at least like the Jordan Peele down to six. I really enjoyed it. Um, it on a on one of many <laughs> a list that I created on this that I went through. It was definitely on the list. It's um, it's not knocking it. It's a great. It's a great film. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. All right, what's your number six? Well, my number six is a bit of a cheat because I couldn't pick just one. And picking both of them, putting oh. both of them on the list is a little greedy. And I think they work better as a pairing than they do apart. So my number six is Ty West. No, <laughs> my number six just is him. Pearl and X. Oh. Uh, I'm combining the two of them because while I think I prefer Pearl to X, it's because of X really? that I love Pearl. What a weird year this has been seeing who are the X people and who are the Pearl people. It's very interesting because I'm an X person. I appreciate Pearl, but I don't understand why so many people like it so much. Oh, <laughs> see, I loved it more. And I don't know. I don't, honestly don't know why. Okay. But I oh. think but the problem is that no matter how I look at it, one of them is always informing my opinion on the other. And I think yeah. they work like a package deal, yeah, sort of like true. Kill Bill. Where both parts are good, okay. but when taken together, they seem to be incredible to me. So from getting off on a scarecrow to giving us Toby Hooper goodness by feeding people to a giant alligator to the actual gas I made with some of the deaths in the first one in X to the monologue in, that had me alternately sad and laughing uh, to Mia Golf slowly stalking someone in like a one take with an axe. It's just... It was a fantastic time of movies that evokes different periods of cinema in ways that can feel like a pastiche, but also feels more thematically like important than what Ty West is kind of known for with like the house of the devil. Cause I think instead of getting attention to detail, correct and making a movie that looks like from that period with these two films, we're seeing they're, they're very evocative of uh, those time periods that he's like in particularly pinpointing, but bringing a modern flair and sensibility. And I honestly think you can see the growth of Ty West in these two films from some of his earlier stuff. And I think that these are probably my favorite films that he's made. Uh, so I am including both of them in a cop out. Sure. Yell at me if you want, but <laughs> I think they go together. I mean, I'll take that. I get it. It makes sense. <laughs> if it's a weird package deal this year. Yeah. Oh, and is Maxine coming out the, in 2023 or is that 2024? Maybe they give us a date. I have no idea. Anyway, they've given us a date, but see, like, there was a few iterations of this list where X was on it. Like, I think X was Mm -hmm. on a list I submitted a couple weeks ago. I was like, well, uh, my list is different now, but it's fine. (laughs) And I, I loved X. I loved what it was doing. I loved again. I think it is seeing Ty West's growth as a filmmaker, going from the stuff we saw in like the mid to late aughts in the 2010s to like his work in television to his work now i think he really has a really fascinating creative vision and i think he executes that really well here and i also think that it also shows like his eye for kind of period pieces that mm-hmm. he has such a like a, a fondness for i just don't think either one hit me emotion as hard emotionally um oh they didn't I, again, hit me like, emotionally oh no I, i'm just going by like the weird the, like mm-hmm. how i was putting it's like i think yeah i didn't i loved x and i enjoyed pearl it's incredible way that we got those two movies this year. And that after Ty West being gone for a decade and being like, I'm never coming back being like, here have two movies. I made one of these in like two weeks in New Zealand. Yeah, seriously. Fuck you. And it's like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. But yeah, no, very understandable. I mean, Pearl was beautiful. Like mm-hmm. that. God, the aesthetics is just like 
Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Incredible. Yeah. All right. Top five. All right. We're at the halfway Here we mark. Go. All right. What is so your number five? My number five is Barbarian. Okay. Um, yeah, I know it's farther down the list than some might have expected, but the the top four are movies that made me cry a lot. So that's kind of what we're going on. Uh, it was a rough year depression-wise for me, y'all. Even though I got married, there was a lot of shit going on, and I just wanted to watch things that made me cry. But <laughs> anyway, so number five is Barbarian. Of course, it's on this list. Uh, biggest, I think, every, one of everyone's biggest shocks of the year. Like, no idea what it was. Zero marketing. Go and watch it, and you're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is insane. This experience is just unhinged. And I know everyone was comparing it to Malignant. People got, and then it got circled back to the point where everyone's like, stop calling it Malignant. But I think it's a good comparison in terms of a movie that came out that took everyone by surprise and caught everyone off guard and proved that, like, I think, I think Malignant and this is a pair coming out kind of show that, like, hey, you can make a just fucking insane horror movie that, like, goes off the rails. And that's fine. Like you can you can also do that. Like that is also something that you are we should be releasing into the world. And I think this hopefully paves the way for those kinds of movies because Barbarian, like I mean, it's like the whitest kid you know guy directs it. Like what the f- it had and it it had like I don't know it had no business being as successful as it was and as incredible as it was and as fucked up and gross and weird as it was. Another movie, a, a rare movie that I wish was longer because I wanted more yeah. information about like what was really going on. But I don't know, man, just it's hard to get surprised anymore with horror movies. And so getting that, having that experience with Barbarian was really special this year. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a Disney movie. <laughs> it is. Wild. If you really think about it. So. I'm sure we'll be talking about Barbarian later, but also just shout out to, to Justin Long, <laughs> Scream King of 2022, both House of Darkness and Barbarian. The boy just is- Just playing absolute dicks. Absolute dicks. He's such a cute little dork. I want to kick him down a set of stairs. Um, I want to kiss him first and then kick him down the stairs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can, that's a good compromise. <laughs> I can do that. Um all right, well, what's your number five? Uh, so apparently this is the year of satires for me because my number five <laughs> was another amazing time at the theater as it skewered elites and kind of the hangers-on that want to touch greatness but um, really have nothing to add to it. It's the menu. Mm, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. I think it really nailed kind of like the foodie craze and the way people mm-hmm. interact with food on like social media apps in particular now. Um the the fact that uh, Nicholas Holt's character says mouthfeel without any irony in it and is talking about it, I was like, <laughs> I know people like this. I know people like this. As someone that is, like, trying to learn how to, to cook himself, like, you know, elevate his level of cooking, to see this made me, like, cringe in some ways. And one of my favorite bits from the movie is how put out Ralph – Ralph – is it – I never know how to pronounce his last name. Is Ray. Fines? Ray Fines. Ray Fines. Oh, is it Ray? Why did I say Ralph? I think it's Ray Fiennes. It's like so it's weird. It's like you don't pronounce it like Ralph. Oh, you don't? No, you don't pronounce it's, you it don't like pronounce Ralph. You don't pronounce it like Ralph? Oh. I don't think so. Hold on. Well, dude, <laughs> who plays <laughs> Chef Slowick, my favorite bit is that Anna Taylor-Joy's Margot is not here for any of the pretension. 
that is going on, the pretense. And a lot of the dialogue between the two of them are like, what side are you on? And there's a discussion of people who serve versus the people who are served. And the way it presents its food is both stunning, funny, and witty. I love the title card presentation of everything, kind of announcing each course to the light. Slowick kind of commands his staff in the way that like the staff sleeps in the barracks. It's very militant. And I think it kind of underscores the militant way that high dining, and I'm using that in quotations, is like dished out. I'm thinking back to like <laughs> dished out. <laughs> back to like watching um the bear, the TV show mm-hmm. where like we see a little bit of the way the, the main character was working at a, like a high end restaurant in New York and the sort of like militant behavior that kind of goes into making sure mm-hmm. that every little thing is perfect when it's all just going in your fucking belly. And where's the taste? Like the joy of being able to make a cheeseburger. I wanted to eat that fucking cheeseburger on the screen. They just, this movie was like a satire that just like really touched my funny bone and I loved it. And surprise me. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's Rafe Fiennes. Rafe. Rafe. Rafe Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes. Okay. Yeah, the ensemble in this movie is incredible. Mm -hmm. And it was... I love how much they really are just riffing on Chef's Table and really just, like, taking the piss out of everyone, not just one group. Everyone's kind of the butt of a joke, and I love Mm -hmm. that. You you had mentioned showing it to your your chef parents. What did they think of this? So we watched like a behind the scenes thing because I had, I didn't realize it wasn't streaming, but I made them watch like a fifteen mm. minute behind the scenes featurette that was like a teaser, and they were dying. They were like, "I'm so excited to watch the full movie with them because they were like so into it, and they were so into like what it was making fun of." And one of the um, chefs from a chef's table actually was like the food court was the food consultant and creative consultant and everything, so okay. they were super excited to see that and. So I need to do like a full watch through with them, but they're they're very fascinated by it. I can imagine. And my mom loves Ray Fines, so Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, four, four more to go. Four more what to is go. your number four? Okay, so the top four sh- shockingly was very hard to kind of rank, but my number four is Maddie Doe's The Long Walk. Okay. Um, which I, I I think I know where it falls on your list, but we won't talk about it yet. But uh this movie is a sucker punch, another emotional sucker punch. This is um, Maddie's third feature film, and she is the only uh, Lao filmmaker, Lao film, Lao female Lao filmmaker, and like only horror filmmaker from Laos to like, her her country, like where she, um, her parents are were born, and where she now lives. I believe she lives there now, <laughs> but. Uh, the Long Walk is a time-traveling serial killer movie that involves the near future and ghosts. Um, and there's a lot of elements, but Doe weaves them together beautifully. Um, Doe, Doe's husband, actually, Christopher Larson, wrote this, but the way that they weave together all of these elements creates this, like, wild web of storytelling that like okay you get all of this information and then it comes together in a really beautiful way that is absolutely heartbreaking and i think that there is such a doe's storytelling and vision and bringing the genre to a part of the world that doesn't like doesn't really doesn't have a lot of exposure in especially the genre world I think she's doing something really special in her work all the always, but this one was just like so deeply heartbreaking and it was gorgeous to watch. Doe is a female film or not a, is a filmmaker 
that everyone needs to be watching. Her work is absolutely incredible. And yeah, it's a movie that I think about a lot about having this like really deep impact on me and about constructions of memory and reality and what it means to be a good person. And yeah. It's really good. It's on my shelf back there somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, so what's your number four? Um, So my number four is a movie that seems to have slipped through the cracks for horror watchers this year, which is sad because it's a surprisingly acerbic, dark comedy that fuses the romantic comedy genre with an exploration of death, depression, and grief. It's Mally Mally Elfman's debut feature film, Next Exit. Oh! A movie that I saw back at Tribeca and one that absolutely moved me to tears when it Mm -hmm. wasn't making me kind of anxiously giggle at things that I felt like I probably shouldn't be giggling at. It's about what happens when the world realizes that there is some sort of afterlife, but one that potentially negates religious ideals of heaven and hell. And it's about a scientist who starts enlisting people to quote unquote transition to the other side in order to explore Mm. what comes next. And so we follow Rahul Kohli's Teddy and Katie Katie Parker's Rose as they have like a romantic comedy meet cute trying to rent um, a car to travel across the country. And there's only one car left. And so they both decide to go on a on a road trip to their eventual demise. And we start to learn about both of them, their failures, the regrets, why they want to take this journey, why they are, are thinking about leaving this world. The music is composed by Ariel Marks, who gave Shiva Baby its tension-filled kind of horror feel to it. And it really elevates this movie as well. It's, I I mean, I think it's probably tangentially related to horror, but it does rely on horror movie visual and audio indicators. And there's there's a ghost story opening, and there's like a phantom that seems to be following Rose through their journey. But it, it ultimately is this powerfully moving film about what makes us human and the way the grief and trauma and unrealized potential, which is something that was really big in this movie, this sort of like unfulfilled potential that both of them feel can kind of haunt us more than like a simple ghost can. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since it is, it was a gut punch of a movie. It made me really sad. It made me laugh. It made me, I was, I was not expecting what I got out of this movie. And I think that's sort of a theme about a lot of the movies of this year, particularly in this, in this last bit are just movies that, I was not expecting and that made me fall back in love with cinema. And this one is, uh, this one's really special. I think I, this is what I haven't seen yet that I want to see. Uh, I haven't been able to watch it yet, but I've heard you, uh, incredible things from you and others as well. So I really need to check it out. You really should. Especially if you want a sad time. I know. Uh, I mean, if listeners have not seen it yet, I'm going to throw a bunch of content trigger warnings because it is about suicidal ideation. It is about suicide. It is about depression. It's about all yeah. these very, heavy end of life type stuff so if you're not in the right headspace for that please do not watch this movie but it is um i think it is a very powerful film cool so that's my number four cool all All right right. three to go three to go all right so this is a movie that was my top of the year for a couple weeks and i have moved it back a couple after careful agonizing consideration but my number three is luca guadagnino's bones and all Okay. A movie that many of you know uh, punched me again in the gut. I cried through the end and all the way home after seeing it. I think that this story, the story follows Taylor Russell, who plays uh, a young girl who discovers that she is a cannibal. 
Her father can no longer deal with her flesh eating tendencies. So she's left on her own devices and is goes off to find her mother. And along the way meets other people like her and kind of starts forging relationships slash boundaries slash kind of discovering her, her new identity. It's basically a movie that I saw so much about is discovering parts of your identity that you aren't so proud of, but mm. finding people that love you no matter mm. what and see it. They don't love you in spite of it. They love you with it. Like it's, it, I don't know. Like it doesn't, it's not just about like, you know, matter. it's something that about found family that I just really love and gravitate towards. And I think something about the relationship between Timothy Chalamet's character and Taylor Russell's character was surprisingly tender to me. Like I, I think something about Timothy Chalamet is just like not super attractive to me. So like, I kind of, it's like hard for me to kind of see the attraction sometimes, but here the attraction is so much more intimate than just like physical. I know this sounds so shallow, but whatever. And I just think that there's a lot of electricity in this movie. I think it is just so beautiful and heart wrenching and tragic it made me cry forever. So yeah. so, yeah, that's my number three. I'm really mad that it's not on my list. It, <laughs> I did really, really enjoy it. I just, I don't know. There's something, there's something about it that kept me at arm's length. And I, I honestly don't know what it is. And I kind of want to rewatch it again and experience it on its own terms. You aren't the only person I've heard that, though. Like, there are people that have kind of seen it more emotionally distant. Which I think is interesting. And I can see that, though. Like, there is something mm-hmm. about it that I think could keep you at a distance. It didn't do that for me, but I can under- I can understand that feeling, like, 100%. And I'm really angry that it didn't resonate with me more because it's, like, everything I love. I love Luca. Trent Reznor did the score. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is fantastic. The acting is great. I think Timothy Chalamet would have charisma and chemistry with the fucking rock as a co-star. He just... He oozes stuff. Um, like, God, that was such a weird turn of phrase. <laughs> I think, is it Taylor Russell? Is that her name? Yeah. I think she's she's phenomenal in it. Um, Mark Rylance is absolutely terrifying. In uh, it. Like, there's so much of this that feels like it's right up my alley, but I don't know. There's just something about it that that kept me apart in ways that his last two films didn't, and I okay. don't know why that is. And I'm so I've been. That's why I never put it on my list because I didn't know exactly what to say about it because I'm still trying to wrangle with it. And I, I think I might need to just watch it again and without like the expectation being there, if that makes sense. It's weird. I feel like this is a movie that – all right, this is going to sound really weird. This is a movie that kind of asks you to more emotionally fill in the gaps. I think with mm. Call Me By Your Name, it's much more charged with that, like, new love, like, first love mm-hmm. desire. I think Suspiria – I haven't seen his other movie with Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson in it, but then Suspiria has, like, that tension, that horror, that kind of, like, immediacy. And then this one, he's a little bit more distant from his character, so I feel like you kind of have to do a little bit more work emotionally than I think he's usually – than I think we've seen. In his movies, it's a little more restrained too. I restrained think restrained is the right Surprisingly. word. Surprisingly, it is more restrained, especially for a movie about cannibalism. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely can understand that. Like I think it's asking you to do a little bit more work in connecting with it, which maybe isn't always a good thing. But for me, I think it came effortlessly, and I think this is one of those mm-hmm. movies that like you're either going to connect with it right away, or you're going to be like, Ugh, I didn't like 
So I can see that, though. I definitely understand why people wouldn't haven't connected with it. Someone called it one of the worst movies of the year, though. And I was like, oh, I saw that I on like, and it was I like Variety or Hollywood. Yeah. It was, I was like, well, one, why are we doing worst of tw- like worst of lists? Like, really? We're doing that in 2022? Like, mm-hmm. I just want to do my my worst of list be worst marketing campaigns and talk about movies that are really good that deserve better marketing campaigns. But uh, um, like the menu, the marketing behind that, the trailer for that showing most of the movie shit terrible but yeah so it's not the worst movie of the fucking year no like not at all crazy watch more movies if you think this is the worst movie of the year like jesus anything but also like fuck you that's so rude but anyway yeah it is it all it's my number three of 2022 what about you terry what was your number three of the year i mean we made a patreon minisode about it It's Barbarian, uh, which pleased me in ways that I want movies to please me. And I mentioned earlier, um, but I do think that as I've gotten older, I've been wanting movies to like surprise and delight me. Yeah. And I was thinking this year in particular, I was thinking back to our conversation with Nicholas Ash Bateman about The Sixth Sense, where I mentioned that that movie kind of broke my brain and ruined how I watch movies because I'm always looking at the narrative structure of the film. And so it's become, it's very hard for me to like be surprised anymore about a lot of movies. Yeah, I can be thrilled. I can be horrified. A jump, a good jump scare can like get me, of course. But I'm talking about like that surprise in a way that makes me believe in like the illusion of film, if that makes sense. And like the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. But like last year's Malignant, again, I'm going to compare it to Malignant. We have a film that understands structure and uses it to brilliantly disarm the viewer uh, we talked about bad marketing. Here's a great marketing campaign. The the trailer, the way the trailer shows absolutely nothing, but makes you firmly convinced that Bill Skarsgård, the man that plays creepy characters, is up to no good. Just so good. It made me like want to know what's happening in this house, what's happening under this house. And it's a mystery box of a film. I loved everything about it from the meat cute in the beginning to the way it slowly builds tension about what was in the house to the ultimate question of why what's in the house is in the house the way it evokes like psycho with the nar- jump in narrative perspectives the restraint it shows in the front half it's like i joked on the patreon episode that it's david fincher in the streets and sam raimi in the sheets but <laughs> that is what this is and yeah. it's one of my favorite moments of film it made me excited about film it made me excited about the future of horror film um i loved it uh it's a great movie yeah, 10 out of 10. Would agree. Definitely agree. So. Barbarian. What would Sam Raimi in the sheets be? Very gooey, I guess, huh? <laughs> Gross. You're welcome. Ew. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, anyway. <laughs> Lots of zoom shots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cool. I'm just imagining well, now. Uh, sorry about ugh. that. Uh, number two. Two more. Just imagined. Like a like a really obviously like fake vagina, but like practical effects vagina. But so then it's like turned. So instead of you know the usual like labia situation, mm-hmm. it's like this, and it goes oh yes oh, and there's like little eyes above it. And it's got little teeth. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? Because I was just imagining. And then like he a... sucks the soul out of your dick, like while you're while. You're fucking, it says I swallow your soul, and then sucks the soul out of your cock. I think I'm on Sam Raimi, get with us. I think this is an awesome, <laughs> this is an awesome idea call. for a movie. 
Let's do this and make this happen. You're we're going for more like maybe less camp, but if you need me to help on another version of the Evil Dead that involves a lot of pornography, I'm here. So let's make it happen. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's my number? <laughs> How do you follow that number two? It's it's so this it's just complete tonal <laughs> tonal change because it's just like there's no way to transition to this number two. But uh, number two is uh, a movie that. I saw it earlier in the year, and I knew I was going to love because it is by filmmakers who I love. That this is Benson and Mo- Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, something yeah. in the dirt. There, it's a found it's a found footage pseudo documentary about two friend like two roommate not roommates two neighbors who discover that there's something weird going on in their LA apartment building. And this is Benson and Moorhead coming back to their roots. They did some chronic, they did some Marvel projects. But they have not lost sight of their indie horror roots and Something in the Dirt is just another incredible example of how they're able to make these intimate stories about outcasts and maybe people would be considered misfits and how they find love, not just romantic love, but platonic love in each other. I mean, we have an asexual character here. We have like a really sad gay character and they're bonding and finding like platonic love in each other and comfort. And yeah, that becomes toxic, but that can happen in these kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fascinating look at codependency and also the supernatural and kind of the extraterrestrial. So it goes this um, whole, like it has, again, like theater movies always have this combination of like really emotional storytelling and like kind of intimate, like, drama intimate life dramas mixed in with like extraterrestrial cosmic horror questioning like the universe and geometry and existence and dimensions and stuff and i'm just such a fucking sucker for that but in a year where i was feeling very cynical i think movies like this are really important to make me like cry and feel warmth in my heart so i mean i'm always i love these their work constantly but this always this really just again spoke to me and hasn't left my head since I saw it last year at Sundance, I think. So I'm glad that this one is finally out in the world and it's really fucking good. It's wild to me that when we talked to the two of them on the podcast last year, they had, we were talking to them about Synchronic. They had just like literally a day or two before we recorded it just, it was just announced that they were picked up to do uh, the moon night for Disney. And they said, yeah, we've done this. We did this really quick, like kind of, covid like movie this really small budget you know movie that maybe will come out next year or something like that and they was just very nonchalant about it but it's a it's a really good movie uh, again another movie that i'm like i uh, probably should have included it on my list because it it is uh they're just great they're lovely people they do great things i love i love when they can go back to the sort of resolution style small yeah very intimate two-person mostly uh movie it's great yeah and again like it's a list well and it's got it's like it's all kind of like it's got it found again it's like kind of for it as a pseudo documentary things that they have found they're filming each other and so it's not like explicit found footage but i consider it like found footage hybrid adjacent so wait did you have any found footage on your list we'll talk about it (laughs) all right all right I'll make a case for that. Forget that one. In a second. But uh, so what about you at number two? My number two is a film that stuck with me from the first time I saw it earlier this year. It's it's Maddie Doe's The Long Walk. And I feel like we could do a whole fucking episode on this film <laughs> in order to do it justice. 
Yeah. I just I haven't I haven't seen it since I first saw it, so I had to go back over my notes a bit to remember to blah 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 to remind myself about it because my my memory is a bit fuzzy but there are images that it imparted to me and there's a feeling that has not left me since i saw this movie i still think about it even when i might not remember every little story bit because it's a very complicated story even though it seems like on the surface a very forward like uh what's the word i'm looking for it seems like a very straightforward story yeah. on, on the surface of things, but there's a lot going on in this movie that just is about holding on to grief, holding on to grief. And that really hit me as someone that had like a rough thirties because of a particular grief moment that like I kept yeah. multiplying in my head mm-hmm. and like kind of ruined me for a long time. And so I was thinking back about this, this, character who is whose mom died from an illness and he was a very young kid and he is like stuck at that moment and he keeps going back in time to do something to it and every single time he does he changes the future but it not in ways he wants and the way that it's becomes this story about how this circuitous grief can turn you into a serial killer and yes it's a little bit on the nose because it's literally a serial killer but also the way that you can look at a serial killer as sort of a metaphor for the way in which you just keep hurting yourself or killing yourself because of the pain that you felt at a specific time of your life. And it just, I don't know, just it really affected me in ways I was not expecting. This is my first experience with a Mandy Doe film. And I just, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's absolutely ha- haunting, yeah, gut punching, and so quietly disturbing that before yeah. you realize how fucked up and how horrible and how horrifying it is, it's too late. The movie lays this trap for you in such a expert way that I just – I was so enamored with the storytelling. I Like you said, Maddie Doe is a filmmaker to watch. And I I think she, we went back and we watched one of her previous films earlier this year. And I just think she gets better with every film. And I absolutely cannot wait to see what she's going to do next. I agree. I think she needs to be spoke of in the same realm as other like filmmakers that are getting a lot of the spotlight. She just is incredible and she understands the horror genre so incredibly well. So that was my number two. Fucking men. (laughs) So good. All right. All right. We are at All right, we're at number one. Top of the list. The best movie of the year. And I'm insanely curious to hear what yours is, Mary Beth. So lay it on me. Which found footage movie is this? So, okay. It's not... Okay, so let me... I'll just say what it is, and then I'll jump into talking about it. So my number one is Jane Schoenbrunn's We're All Going to the World's Fair. Okay. Yep. All right. That makes sense. So this movie is not explicitly found footage. It is like second screen horror mixed with narrative style elements. But I think that 2022 was also the year of the hybrid found footage movie. I think we saw that with Something in the Dirt. I think we're seeing this a lot in that found footage is still, you know, alive and well. But people like filmmakers are adapting those techniques and combining them in really fascinating ways. And I think Jane Schoenbrunn's film is such an incredible testament to how that can be done. And it is one of the most incredible portrayals of living online that I've ever seen and the isolation of being online and the use of being online as a sense of comfort, a place to be yourself, a place to work things out about yourself, a place to just get lost and trapped in and the predatory behaviors that happen online. Like it's just captured so creepily. And yeah, and it's just, 
yeah, there's could be debate if it's a horror movie or not about what's going on. But I think especially Anna Cobb's performance as Casey, and she's like carrying almost this entire film, this like teenage mm-hmm. girl is incredible. And just watching this teenage girl try to find community within YouTube videos and in just kind of shouting her videos to the void. It's just this like deeply nihilistic in a way that's almost hopeful. And like, there's not like we are all just alone jellyfishes floating in this weird digital void. So and trying to find connection and how do you find connection and how do you know if those connections are valid? And I think it's such an important movie. I think it's, and again, it's an incredibly trans narrative as, you know, mm-hmm. Sean Brun was transitioning as they were making this movie. And I just think it does capture the, ex- I-, I spoke with Sean Brun about the film and was talking about how this movie took put into kind of images, the ways that I felt as a teenager of like not understanding myself. And while I am cis, it helped like this movie still got kind of maybe think about the ways I dissociated from my identity and who I was and figuring out who I was as a kid online. And like, it is so hard to put into words what this movie made me like think about and feel, but like it's skin on a ring from next year. will have a very similar, I will be high up in my list because of the, uh, the ways it reached back into parts of my brain that I had not thought about in a very long time and brought them to the forefront and made me analyze and understand them as more than just like, these weird, oh yeah, there's just like weird primal young emotions, but actually kind of analyzing them as very important parts of my life. And yeah, I think Show and Brown's film is such an incredibly important queer look at digital horror and cyberspace. And I'm just very obsessed with it. As you should be. I, I, you know, I do think that I, I really enjoyed that movie, but I do think that because of my age difference and not coming of age online. It was not like as emotionally resonant for me as it was for um, people around, probably around your age or a little bit younger, I would say too. Cause for me, it was just like, I was, I was caught up in the idea of like creepy pastas and telling stories, yeah. but like I, I've never, I've never participated in any of that. So for me, it was like this, this very foreign concept for me, but uh, it was a very good movie. And I'm, I'm really glad that it's on, on your list at, at number one. Cause I think it's a really well done movie and I want more people to see it for sure. Fucking two. (laughs) All right, Terry. All right. Now it's your turn. It's your number one. You know, this was a last minute change up for me Uh because when I initially watched it, I didn't care for it, but it kind of stuck with me and started churning in my head to the point of obsession. And I've decided that David Gordon Greed's Halloween ends as the best movie of the year. I'm going to fucking light you on fire. (laughs) I'm being serious. The way it deconstructs the Michael Myers legacy. Absolutely flame you. What is happening right now? To the way it explores the seeping evil in Haddonfields as a metaphor for the country. It's just absolutely brilliant and riveting stuff here, Mary Beth. I don't know what you don't see about this number one choice. I'm kidding. It's it's you won't be alone. I had to have some. I I feel like everyone knew that it was gonna be you won't be alone for me, because I've been fucking talking about the movie for all year, so I had to like they're a little bit of a curveball, but uh, yeah, so like You Won't Be Alone starts with the woman being forced to give a child to an old witch, and she begs that old witch to at least give her until the child is old or before taking her. And while the witch agrees, the woman hides in like a sacred religious cave 
with the child so that the witch can't enter and take her. But of course, the child can't ever leave. And as the child gets older, she wants to venture out on the confines of this cave. And the mom tells her, do you understand what devils prowl out there? Followed by, they would tear you to pieces outside of this wall. And then finally, do you know what I go through for you? And so it's this like, this look about trying to protect people from the world because the world is an evil, horrible place, but also at the same time kind of squelching them. And so, boy, <laughs> this movie kind of hit me hard as someone. Yeah. Urgh. I didn't think I was going to get emotional with this. As an exploration of how horrible the world can be, but also how joy-filled it can be, this movie hit. I have a lot that I wanted to say. I've written it down because I knew it was going to be hard, but I just can't. Whew. And that's why it's your number one, baby. <laughs> but it also, like, I love the way it kind of explores uh, sexual and gender politics. Really? <laughs> Riggins, why? Riggins, why are you doing this to me? Um, yeah, so the way it kind of explores sexual and gender politics as well. Pol politics? What the fuck? Politics Polis. as well. Well, I don't want to know about that. Um, as well as like the grief and the horror of the world. Some that is caused, yes, by this cruel witch, but also a lot of it is caused by people. And it is a movie that is it's a slow burn and it's all about that but this character also experiences joy and joy in like such a raw form and so the way that the you can look at this film so many different ways it explores existence through different gender binaries i would honestly love to read um, a trans or non-binary writer discuss this movie because i think that there's a lot of interesting depictions of gender in it um it does require a lot of dedication on the part of the viewer. Um, the main character doesn't speak, but we spend all the time in her head. And we, so we get this like interior monologue that is spoken in broken English because she's not experienced the rest of the world. And she doesn't know how to, how to like form fully formed sentences in outside of like these very basic thoughts. And I just, I don't know. It's a hard world. It presents this world that is full of pain, but like, there's also immense joy in it. Yeah. And when we get to the kind of finale, that's sort of like a gut punch of a finale. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, she says two words and yet. And I just start crying because it's like, there's so much horror, but there's also goodness. Fucking hell. So yeah, that's my number one. <laughs> Terry cries again. I mean, that's how you fucking know it deserves that spot, though, that it's able to have that. Re and, like, I think that reaction also speaks to a lot of the movies that came out this year. Like, I know we talked about not all movies hitting, but when they hit, like, they hit hard this year. Oh, yeah. And I think You Won't Be Alone was one that I was so impressed with and didn't hit my list. But, like, it, it, again, another movie that I think had a lot of really great buzz out of the festivals, but then, like, kind of fizzled away when it came out. And I think... Yeah, it's a, it's like a slow burn witchy horror, but it's also so beautiful. Like it's definitely one of the more hopeful movies mm -hmm. of this year. 
too. Like it's bleak. I think that's that movie is kind of almost like nihilism at its like most perfect form, and, and like it's dark and like things don't seem worth it, but at the same time there is something worth living for. So like fuck it, like you might as well just keep living. Yep. And even if you know things seem terrible or there doesn't seem to be any reason to live, you might as well just fucking live anyway because there are beautiful things about it. And it is like a kind of perfectly nihilistic film in a way that I think is necessary. I think there is a lot of hope that we don't see, and yeah, it takes place in the past, but I think it does have a really like fa- like really good message about finding hope and focusing on hope even in the face of tragedy, which I think we could all probably fucking use. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> so we had wild lists this year. I know we were super we really excited did. to talk about how like our lists because I don't think our lists have ever been so different. Like no. we had I think Long Walk, Orphan, mm-hmm. and Barbarian as our three overlaps. That's, that's but it. we usually yeah. have way more than that. But like oh, this yeah. year was It's such normally a... just like a, a flip yeah. flap of which one is our third but... or second or first or but I love that there was not a lot of overlap. It's such a more, it's, I think, like, there were so many movies that were so deeply personal for so many filmmakers, too, mm-hmm. that I think there were a lot of movies that were, like, destined to find the sad, traumatized queers that love them. <laughs> and, like, that's it. <laughs> yep. But, yeah. Bullseye. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a very had, eclectic year, too. It was. I mean, a lot of diversity of film out there, I would say. Yeah. And like, I wanted my list to try to reflect that. Like, I wanted to have a, a decent number, like, a decent, I wanted to have some like women and non binary people and queer people, mm-hmm. people of color. Like, I think at this point, when making top 10 lists, and I am no, by no means perfect, and I know, like, you know, we're still working within a canon that is controlled by cis white men. But I think it is important to, like, when making these lists, understand that you should expand your view and, like, perspectives. <laughs> I think I think you do yourself a disservice as a horror lover, no matter how much of a, like, no matter hardcore, new, writer, just a lover. I think it, you do yourself a disservice and only focusing on, like, the big releases. And understandably, it could be an, it's an access thing. I'm not, I know that sounds elitist of me, like, saying you're doing a disservice, but I think... In an age where more things are accessible, smaller titles are accessible on digital, I think it is important to, like, kind of keep your ear to the ground as much as you can if you love horror and, like... Broaden that horizon. Broaden that. And especially, like, us, if you are in a space where people, you know, listen to your podcast, read your writing, I think you are especially responsible for watching movies that aren't just the big releases, that aren't just, like, the ones that will be popular... I think you need to, as a film writer, like expose yourself to things that maybe aren't going to be on the radar. And like, I think it's our job as writers to try to highlight that as podcasters, as writers, some kind of mini tastemakers in horror, whatever. I think it is important for us to like really keep an eye on everything coming out. And I think this year yeah. is such an example of like, if you, you'll blink and you'll miss something. And obviously, no one's perfect. Like, there's no way you can watch. Every single title. No. But I also think when people make generalizations like, oh, horror sucks, it's like, you have absolutely no idea, like, what is out there and what is being made and what has been made recently. Like, you just aren't looking hard enough. So I think this is one of the best years for horror in a very long time. Yeah. I think consistently it's one of the best years for sure. So. Weird. Wow. Weird. (sighs) Weird. But that was a... 2022 in a nutshell. That was 22 in a nutshell, everybody. So uh, thanks for 
not just listening to this episode, but listening to us for the whole year. We want to hear what you think about our list, but also we want to know your favorite episodes. Maybe there was a, a discovery from Little Cuts that you watched that you really like. Like, what was your, like, how do you agree with any of our lists? Let us know. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can let us know on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, follow the podcast and let us reach out to us on the podcast Twitter account at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, subscribe. Thank you, everyone who is subscribed to us on Patreon. Um, we really appreciate you helping kind of defray the costs and supporting us. It really it means a lot to us, and I hope you guys have enjoyed the – I guess it's been like, what, four months? Four months of content we've put out so yeah. far? Um, yeah. So thank you for that, and um, hopefully you'll stick with us next year. And if you're holding on to you know some of those Patreon dollars and want to throw it our way, we would love to have you join us on, on Patreon. We Please got some thank you. Hopefully fun things coming up your way in, in 2023. So – Thank you to Eric Carr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening all the time. Your support means everything to us. Um, please stay safe out there. Happy New Year. Stay creepy. And until next time, where's the stop? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room.
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>